0: Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to the On Blast podcast. So as always, we, we just like to give you our thoughts. It's just my thoughts, man. Right or wrong, just what we're feeling at the time. Welcome back again to another On Blast podcast. I am Sheldon Alexander, here with Mr. Andrew Webster. Webby, how you doing, man? I'm
1: doing well, man. It's been a little while, but I figured we be, listen, It's one of the goats Going
0: right now, crossing out. I feel that we've got to kick the podcast uh, into high gear and talk about it. You know, one of the goats. eh? Okay, that's how we're. That's how we're feeling. at King Kendrick right now.
1: Well, so, uh, right now, I can't think of anybody else really doing what he's doing at the level that he's doing it right now.
0: I'm I'm not mad at you on that, and and th- you'll be disappointed in me for this, but this is where my old man growth yeah. comes from. I just listened to the album today. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm late on it. Like, I knew it was out, and you know what happens now when whoever it is, it drops. It's a big deal anyways, right? Yeah. Someone will drop, and then everyone and their moms will say it's the best thing ever, and, and then... Everybody reacts to it in one way or another? Yeah. Like,
1: on one spectrum, high or low, it, and then, what, you just wait it out?
0: Yeah, I was just kind of like, I'm going to wait on it for a second and see how I feel. See, you know, I just waited out. There's a lot of other things going on, you know, like, um, plus I'm in a like weird mix of podcasts right now where like that takes up a lot of my travel time. So like, that's what... You know, it was a weird shift to them be like, oh, let me bump some some music. Like, what am I listening to? Mostly it's like, you know, you got a couple songs in the morning when you're heading head to shower and, you know, you're getting ready for work and shit, but not really enough time to fully take in an album, like, let's say, right? But today, exactly. But today I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make a point and listen to Kendrick. It's long enough. It's way overdue. And then I had everyone make fun of me for not listening to it yet. <laughs> but you like it, though. You like it, though. Let's get into this right now. Let's start. We're start- For me? we're starting with Kendrick. Let's do it. Too that, like, if I hear the hype that it's amazing or it's not
1: very good, I like I like to push back and like you know see we see what it's really about. But with the Kendrick man, I mean, you put on like after that intro, that next track gets right
0: into it. DNA, DNA, that's fire. I worked in love to Pigeon Butterfly. I thought it was like I thought it
1: was really good, and Kendrick put on a lot of skills, but. You know, I'm kind of old too, and I don't need any of that extra curricular stuff on the album. You know, I just need you to have a banger beat and come with fire over it. So I was really happy to hear this album where he does come, you know, he comes correct. Well, like, I think he comes better, like, he rests better than he does on any of it. Any of his
0: other albums yeah I mean uh, so far and again I'm also I'm just on like my first few listens front to back on it and I will say just like off first listen it really does grab me it's one of those things where you know for me and how I judge albums I was saying this I was playing this earlier to to one of my boys Graham I was saying oh you know Graham obviously um oh. I was, expl- I was saying to him, I was like, how I judge albums early on especially is how long it takes me to listen to the full thing. Because I'll listen to it and then the track will be so hype that I got to go right back and listen to it again. Right? And and you're so, you're so right about the fact that as soon as that intro ends and DNA kicks in, that beat is just a banger right away. His flow on it's so good. And I like it because Kendrick... Kendrick takes it back a bit, and in a sense, this reminds me of Jay or Big, in the sense that they can they can switch up their flow to match the beat. Do you know what I mean? Which I don't think happens that much in this era. I feel like in this era, guys kind of have their flow that same simple da 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 -da flow. You know what I mean? And it just kind of they make beats to match that same flow all the time. That same turn up turn up beat. You know. Does that make sense? I don't even know if I'm making sense. Absolutely, and this is why I kind of give him the, the label of the best out right now is that he's so versatile and can do so many different things
1: on one track, let alone a whole out. I mean, look at that one, the one track that he has where he just does the juvenile flow from
0: up. Yes, 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 element. The of a song. Yeah, that song's element. It, it's so and dope. Trying to get Drake or somebody else to do that, they, they just wouldn't have the skills. I mean, uh, that's why I'm bringing up Drake, because he and Kendrick right now are contemporaries and,
1: like, the most popular guy out there right now. For and sure. Drake does bring a lot of different influences to his work, but it's usually in the style or kind of, yeah, more in the style, whereas Kendrick brings to the, to the flows and, and and to what he's trying to say. <laughs> They're different and similar at the same time, but when, what Kendrick
0: can do on one song is just unbelievable. Yeah, like the song you're referring to is Element and that song, uh, it's so good. And again, just the way that, you know, it's kinda off that that Kanye flow where the beat drastically just changes in the middle and but with it though, he switches up his flow with it to hit you with that juvenile hot. I was like, Oh, okay, I, I like that, I like that. But again, it's just a versatility of hip hop music, you know, and I think Kendrick His first album is his first album. Everyone's first album is like their best work for the most part. But I think you know his second album kind of got a little uh, too—I don't know how to put this—but it was it was. It's what I want to say. Yes, that makes sense. And I need, and I feel like I need something in the middle. And I'm not knocking the poetic. Hey, I like that. You know, he's always going to come with some like real shit because there's not enough real just lyrics in 2017 hip-hop so it's it's refreshing to i I don't want to knock someone for coming with like serious thought-provoking lyrics i don't want to knock someone for that but i feel like so far with this album like through my first five listens i'll say I feel really good about it in the sense that he has that. He's still hitting you with those. You know, every time I listen to a song, there's there's another line that I'm like, oh, okay, I caught that there. I caught what he said there. But also the beats are still banging on a different level. You know, and like it it was funny because earlier my first listen, I was I said to I said to my boy Maui, I was like, yo man, DNA. Like nobody, I knew the beat the song was banging because people have been talking about it for a while, but I didn't know it was banging like that. And he just simply said. Come on, man. Mike Will made it. <laughs> yeah, and, and doesn't that sum everything up?
1: Uh, I forget what track it is, but uh, some Toronto guys. Uh,
0: this jazz, like, hip hop group from Toronto, Bad Bad Not Good. Really? It's like it's beats, and I'm not sure. Uh, it's, yeah. it it's Lust. Yeah, it is Lust. You're correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad Bad Not okay. Good. I see it here. It's yeah? A good, good group, man. That, that one, I mean. Uh, that's good. To be that he's putting those guys from Toronto on, man. Yeah, I've been listening to them for a long time. No, I mean that is dope. That's a good, good look for people from Toronto. As always, you know, we we love to to big up Toronto, and of course, you mentioned Drake, which I find is interesting because I don't really. They are the two top guys in the game right now, but it's such <laughs> a like contemporary kind of like that. Yes, yeah. styles are
1: different, but just in where we are in 2017, like. Both of those
0: guys are so hard to compare to anybody. But I feel that the only people that you can compare to are each other, you know? No, for sure. For sure. And I I don't think that, you know, in this era, if you're talking about who are the best rappers out right now, it's definitely between those two guys. I don't even think, like, you know, you'll have the odd J. Cole person try to step up and try to put J. Cole in that. But I don't think he goes there. And And I do like J. Cole. I will say that. I know I'm like a rare soul in that, because I feel like J. Cole has, like, his squad, you know what I mean, like, he has a, he has a squad, and then everyone else is kind of like, uh, J. Cole's boring, or it's not, it's not hard enough for me, or something, you know what I mean, but, I heard, I
1: heard somebody uh, describe J. Cole as, like, a
0: cult leader, oh, on a podcast, like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty apt, yeah. that's, that's interesting, so that's interesting, like a cult. But but no, going back to your comparison about Drake and Kendrick, I find it kind of unfair. And, and uh, Kenny actually today described it perfectly, I thought. He was like, with these two albums, it's a perfect example of Kendrick is just, it's a rap album and Drake is a pop album. You know what I mean? And like Drake's trying to be a pop star and hey, like I'm not going to knock him for that. Am I going to bump more life a lot? No. But I also realize that more life isn't made for me. Like, I'm not necessarily the target demographic for more life. He's trying to hit a bigger, grander audience in that, whereas, you know, Kendrick's just going to try to make that hip-hop music, right? Like, he's he's trying to hit just a, a narrower audience than Drake is, let's say, but Kendrick's doing such a good job at that, that it becomes mainstream. That's right, and it's like,
1: we keep waiting for Drake to make that pop album. That relates to hip hop heads, like Kendrick makes hip hop
0: that relate like the pop music thing, you know. Exactly. And I think that that's kind of what. Um, if you're reading this, it's too late. Yes. That's what it kind of did. It wasn't necessarily an official album, but like that
1: was the thing that Drake put out that was had those pop hits, but still he came with a little bit of thunder on what he was on what he was putting out
0: there. For sure, and for me, that album is his second best album to me. I still think his first album's the best one, and I think if you're reading this, is his second best album. But again, you're yeah, you're so right. Like all his other albums uh, are definitely way more pop focused, a lot more uh, singing. And personally, I'm not a fan of singing i'm not as much of a fan of singing drake as i am of rapping drake but again i have come to the realization that i am not the target demo and i i I respect what he's trying to do because i don't know if you said if you uh what was the interview he did but he was talking about how upset he was that uh hotline bling was nominated for rap out rap song of the year right and he was like that's not a rap song Nobody thinks that it's a rap song, but why would they put it in that category, right? Is it just because it's him? Is it just because he's a black artist? You know what I mean? Like, why would you, why would you put that or categorize it as a rap song when everybody knows that it's not a rap song, right? So I understand like what he's trying to do in terms of like knock down that barrier of just pigeonholing him, which is a big Kanye thing that Kanye was always trying to fight against, you know? Um, And again, more life isn't my shit, but there's some okay songs on it. I'm not. I'm not fully mad on him, Adam, and he's still putting on for Toronto. Favorite drink albums. I really like come around to him, but
1: that's because now on Spotify, it's like I don't have to have the entire album. I can pick out my ten favorite songs on
0: that, and it's now like a good drink album for me. You know. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Ten songs of that album. Yeah, and which is you... what's so good about Kenny's album is that it's like thirteen tracks. Mhm. Yeah, uh, exactly. How many tracks it is? It is fourteen songs. Well, one interlude like "Blood" is really, uh, yeah, no, right? exactly. That's what I was railing about last time I came on is that like I don't need a twenty-two. Track out. <laughs> ten, ten gets out. It's great. But even with views, I feel like that was a lot of people's complaints as well. Like it had, I think, twenty tracks or something like that on it, and. Oh, fun, fun. Yeah, and a lot of people said, if hey, if you just remove the five or six tracks you really don't like, or you just picked out the ten tracks you really, really liked, that's a solid album, right? And I, I tend to agree with that, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just like the fact that hip hop is still booming, and I'm of the belief that there's room for the futures, there's room for the Migos, and I'm just glad that you know Kendrick is still here to rep for hey, I still want to hear dope hip-hop. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's room for both, and I like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, yeah, this is a genre of music that went from
1: something that was, like, considered a fad 30 years ago to now has multiple subgenres and multiple fans of those subgenres and multiple cultures within the genre. Mm-hmm. Believe, Lord, it's unbelievable, and we're lucky to be living in this era of Uh, music accessibility, right, where maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, if we wanted to hear the new Joey Badass, we would have to go to the record store, wait till it came out, or if we wanted to hear what MF Doom was doing, we had to go to a tiny record store, but now everything's available, and and we can get into anything, and that's how one kind of sub-drama leads to another, and they take, and they they pass each these different kinds, I, it's great, I mean, where we are right now, musically, especially for bob we're so
0: lucky to be, to be fans, you know? So going, going back a bit though, like you were saying that you like more life, do you like more life better than damn? Oh, no. Okay, Sorry. just checking, I was just asking, <laughs> I was wow. just asking the question, Webby, I was just asking the question, that's all. <laughs> wow, wow. It's like, vibes, for sure, like that's what we were talking about. For sure. Like it's if you're driving around on like a Sunday afternoon and if the weather's nice and you got the girl in the car, you're not necessarily going to be like pumped and humble for sure. You know? but, uh, passion yeah, fruit might work well for you. That's what for. Passion fruit might work for you. You know, you're just chilling <laughs> with the girl. That might work for you. I, I don't hate a passion fruit, man. I'm for that shit. Oh man, it's too good. It's too good. Well, more life did come out around the time that there appeared to be. More life in the city of Toronto, for a couple of its teams at least, uh-huh. as, I, as I segue in. So uh, we have two things we could we could go here with, Webby. We have the Raptors still in the playoffs, or the Leafs playoff run coming to an end. Which one would you like to tackle? Well, let's put the Leafs to that. I mean, okay. we're, we're, everything's basically been written about them. The, uh, you know, the wakes have happened, the obituary of the 2016-2017 season mm-hmm. has been
1: written. But I think we got to like, give it up to the kids. Man. I mean, what an unbelievable season for league fans and just the city of Toronto. I, what, what blew me away about this team was for the last 10 years, however long I've been back in Toronto, I've heard that it's almost impossible for this city to have a successful hockey team because the media and the scrutiny by the public on this team is too great that no one can ever get it together. And it, it won't be until you get the magical alignment of the stars if you can get something special. But man, I'll tell you, the points of Nylander, Marner, and Matthews could be exactly what this team needs like, going forward. With them, those kids were were just, it seemed like nothing bothered them. They went toe to toe with the, the, the best team in the regular season, with one of the best goaltenders of his generation. Like, they, they never looked scared. They never looked like they didn't belong. They never looked like anything had gone to them. They never looked like the media's questions were getting to them, you know? They just
0: put their head down. They came out on the ice. They performed as well as they could. And, uh, you know, they've got years ahead of them. No, for sure. And I like that you brought up Austin awesome, Matthews and not being phased. Because I've been, I've been kicking around this theory, Webby, that I would like to— run by you here. Okay? So, I just find it amazing that it would take Austin Matthews or sorry, I should say I find it interesting. And my theory is that Austin Matthews, it would take an American kid, follow me for a second here, to to want to not shy away from the spotlight or crumble under the pressure of what playing in Toronto actually means. And what I mean by that is, okay, in Canada, just the way that hockey culture sets you up it's more about the team right everything is team this no one's above the team this sat in the third like we know Crosby's the best player we know uh Connor McDavid's the best player of their teams but no matter what they will never make it more above them bottom line though if you're doing it if you're doing it big in Toronto it's gonna be about you right there's no dancing around that right so to embrace that to thrive under that I'm not surprised that it would be an American kid that a lot of times you might think grew up watching LeBron, who's who took all the bullets, took all the pressure, took all the hate, and thrived under that. Watch Kobe do it big on the Lakers, you know, like want to thrive on the biggest stage, or Derek Jeter doing it for the Yankees. Like I just think coming up in that sports culture where you're seeing ESPN on every single night, everything's about these primetime time organizations and franchises and just doing it on the biggest stage possible but also seeing the reward that comes from that you know what i mean and, and not really shying away from that but almost embracing that like my dude scored 40 goals in his rookie year that that probably as big as the expectations were for him he surpassed them that's crazy yeah and forget about the 40 goals i mean he, he led this team
1: against the playoffs on, on his back he's 18, 19 years
0: old. It's crazy.
1: But he doesn't know any better, you know? I just think. He hasn't been, you're absolutely right. He hasn't been, like, almost sullied and darkened by that Canadian hockey media growing up here, you know? That it's so important that Toronto is lifting the cup and what 1967 means, and, you know, that the Canadian team has won since 93. And, that the two sports networks in this country like cover every little bit of the game up here. But not having that, not growing up in that definitely helps him come here and be the superstar he is because he's got nothing else kind of pulling his mind away from that. There's no voice in the back of his head that says, you know, are you worthy enough to do this? You know, what about all those who came before you? He doesn't know what's better. Just clip them Arizona.
0: And I also, yeah, yeah, and I and I also think too. Like, I just think okay, we've we've seen it with Stamkos. We saw it with Rick Nash before. You've seen other Canadians or like Toronto area kids have a chance to come home and sign with the Leafs, and they've turned it down for whatever reason. But you see a lot of Canadian uh, kids, you know, enjoy and re-sign in like an L.A. or in San Jose or somewhere like that where you know, it's not as big, or even in Rick Nash's case in New York, it's still a big market, but you're definitely not the top ticket in town. You know what I mean? Like you can still walk down the street and Hey, I, I, I understand that, you know, you wanting to live a lifestyle where you can go to the grocery store and not be bothered. I understand that. But, I, but I also think it would take a special kind of a different breed, let's say, you know, like a different mindset altogether to be able to, to, you know, and not that Austin awesome Matthews had a choice, but it would definitely take a different kind of person to be able to step into what is Toronto media, hockey hype, all that craziness, and just say, "Fuck it, let's go." You know, you just said so many things too. Like you, you had Babcock talking about how he sat down with them before the year and they discussed. You know, hey, do you want to play on the wing? Do you want to play center? And he's like, "No, no, no, I want to play center. Like, I want to be the best. Like, I just think like." All these guys want to do that, but the stage presence that comes with doing it in Toronto, on the biggest stage in the game, I, I I just think there might be something to that. That growing up and watching LeBrons, watching Kobes, do you know what I mean? Like, playing on the Lakers matters. Playing on the Yankees matters. Playing for the Leafs should matter as well. And I know the organization has been a laughing stock for a long time, right? And I, and I get that and I understand that. But it's not like the Yankees were, you know, like before they had their Jeter run, it's not like the Yankees were anything crazy for the longest time, right? You're right. It's an iconic sweater. And it's, you know, it's one of the original six. Those original six teams, it carries a lot of, weight, like, you know, no matter what, what kind of sports fan you are. No, for sure. And And with these kids, too, like, it's just, I mean, I feel like Leaf fans... And follow me here for a sec. I feel like Leaf fans kind of fell into two different categories, right? You had the Leaf fans who, before the series started, said, hey, you know, this is house money. You know, down the stretch, it's house money. They make the playoffs, cool, doesn't matter what happens, whatever. Then you had the other fans that pretended to say that and then were mad when they lost. It's like I'm not really sure you understand how this whole house money thing works. <laughs> <Do> you know, <laughs> yeah, right. And and you know, Webby. So, like, which side did you fall on? Like, did you kind of just see this for what it was, and just like, hey, this is experience or going against Ovechkin, one of the best players ever, and the President Trophy winners, and you got into the playoffs on the last day of the season. You know, like here's like, hey, it's that well, I I was just when they lost in game six. For sure. I in the thought, moment, yeah. I thought that was a winnable
1: series for Toronto.
0: Mm-hmm. But that being said, it takes nothing away from, from what they did. Yeah. Be like, that's just me being a selfish fan and thinking that I know better than, you know, all the people who picked Washington, you know? For sure. I just thought that I just thought our team was a little bit better. But it takes
1: nothing away from, from all the accomplishments and, and doing this in one year I can mean, certainly just in one year. I thought this was gonna take three, maybe four
0: years to get good enough to get postseason, man? Yeah. Like, this team is fucking, this team is, really good. And what Babcock was able to do too with all these rookies, right? Like we all know that Babcock's a great coach. We all know obviously he got paid so much money to come to Toronto, but still, like what he did with a group of rookies is so ridiculous and, and really unheard of, right? Like in what other sport have we seen something like this where a cast of all these kids have come together so quickly and made it to the playoffs and made a run like that? You know what I mean? Like, It's just sit back and enjoy it, and maybe it might still be too close for some Leafs fans because it's only two days removed from the loss, but at some point before next season, we got to take a step back and just like,
1: wow. And, and uh, I just admire how impressive the job was this year. I mean, is such a great coach. That if he came into my apartment or my office and he said I could fly, yeah. I'd probably jump off the of me, man. <laughs> Like he had, he had these kids believing in everything that they were doing, yeah, and just to be that much of a motivator to to bring a group like that to the to the to the playoffs is unbelievable. No, and I used to think that I, I'm one of these people that you know I'm not a huge hockey guy, you know I don't know the nuts of the bolts, and I was like. What does an NHL coach do other than say, "Okay, hey, third line, it's your time to go out there"? But after this year with Babcock in the Leafs, I have a, a, a much greater appreciation for what a hockey coach means to a club and what a hockey coach means to a season. You know, I mean, because what he did wasn't—it was more than a night-to-night thing. It was a—it was an overall from the from the beginning of training camp to. The end of uh, their run in the playoffs. It was just one singular job that he did, and one message that he gave all these guys, all, all these guys to believe in, and, and took them from nobody's to uh, to a team that
0: took Washington to five overtime games. For sure, and I, I know you'll appreciate it too, Webby, as a, a Philadelphia Sixers fan, and and just this whole concept of tanking and rebuilding and. You know, how many times do we hear in multiple sports about, well, mostly basketball and hockey, right? But just tanking the season in hopes of getting a high draft pick because that's the best way to rebuild. And so last year, like, think about this. The Leafs actually tanked. It worked. They got the they won the lottery. Then they draft Austin Matthews. Then he surpasses expectations himself. But then also the other young assets that you've been building also come around and you make the playoffs in year one like that it's unfathomable you know what i mean and it's such a like great story for all the times that we've heard about tanking and seen it not work right but like you know you have cases like and i am purposely using names like lebron on purpose because this like i think it it, we're we're almost taking it for granted because we're just like seeing Austin Matthews on a daily basis score 40 goals in his first season, like, you gotta put that in perspective, right? Like, there's not, like, that's not an everyday thing where someone lives up to the expectations like that and on such a big stage, right? Uh, You're absolutely right. That's the thing, is that because of where we live and where we work, I think that his season was taken a
1: little for granted by by people we know. I mean, to, to, to score 40 goals... That's an eighteen-year-old has done. It's only been done by like a handful of guys, and they're all considered the best, some of the best to ever play the game. Yeah. Like, what we saw this year from Austin Matthews was historical. Historical. That's crazy. Now I've got. I got a question for you. Yes. Is what was higher? Okay. Mm-hmm. Matthews'
0: total for goals this year in his rookie year. Body you got that. <laughs> um, so, I have a story for you, Webby. Uh, nice, nice. Um, so, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm prefacing this story by saying we've been doing this on blast thing now for, you know, a couple years at least, right? And a lot of, for the longest time, I've always been wanting to do this segment that's just like story time. And right. I probably have outgrown it because. I would have a lot more stories, let's say, two years ago than I do now. Just from, my lifestyle's changed a little. Let's let's just say that, right? Of course, my story time now is like, yeah, I wash the dishes. <laughs> but uh, so Sunday night, I went to the Leaf game. Right? Um, yeah. Great time. I mean, minus the loss, it was still cool to be there. Great atmosphere for the most part, which we'll get to at another time. But post game now. I message one of my buddies and just like, hey, what are you guys doing? They happen to be downtown watching the game. So they tell me they're going out to a club after. So I'm like, you know what? I'm already out. I'm already downtown. Why not? Let's let's do this. And normally I do not like telling these stories because the role that I wanna play is not a TMZ role. Like that's not that's not what I'm trying to do. So if you're thinking that it's gonna be Yeah, yeah. If you're thinking it's gonna be something salacious, it's not gonna be, right? It's very PG, but still very funny. So obviously post-game post-game that means I've had a full game of drinking while watching the game, but also now I'm in a club having a few more beverages as well. But I have to work the next morning. Right? So you're that you're putting yourself in a nice balance where you're feeling nice, but you're not going overboard, right? So first thing that happens as we're, you know, talking to my boys, whatever, we're hanging out, music's playing, it's a good vibe. First person I see walk in is Jabari Parker. No. and I'm like, oh, okay. No, <laughs> not really. No, he 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 was good. He was good. So you see Jabari Parker with uh, your boy Henson, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well those two guys aren't important, so it's a big deal. No, I mean like not important in the sense of like no no no. I'm saying like it's a big deal if you see Giannis in the club the night before a game, but seeing Jabari. No, no, no! It's not a big deal. It's like, hey, you guys have your have your fun, whatever, right? You like, you oh, guys. Out there, exactly right? right. Next person, your boy Big Simbular. <laughs> okay, no idea, no idea where Big Simbular is at this point. But okay, cool. As we're also counting Toronto faces, next face you see is Josie Altador. <laughs> like, oh, a nice, pleasant surprise. That's cool, right? So. Uh, at, at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta shut this down. It's time, it's time to go. It's about like 1:30. Again, I gotta work in the morning, so I'm like, okay, whatever. Let me go to washroom, then I'm gonna leave. So as I'm walking out of the washroom, my head turns around. But I guess the state that I'm in, I'm at a point where my thoughts go right to my mouth before like being at my brain. Does that make sense? So as I turn the corner, that's my life. <laughs> So as I turn the corner, I look, and all that comes out of my mouth is, Willie? And he actually turns around, and it's D-Lander. And he's like, hey, <laughs> he's like, hey man, what's up? And I'm like... Did I really just call him Willie? Like, is that a thing I just did? But it's all because... <laughs> but it, <laughs> no, but it's all because when, when I'm watching a game, me and my boys, we joke around like, yes, Willie, feed Willie. Like, we're just joking around, right? But in my brain in this moment, I, like inquisitive, almost like I was asking a question, but out loud, I was like, Willy? Willie? Is that you? And he turns around and he's like, hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? I'm like, "Um, oh, I'm all right. I'm like, hey, man, I just want to say good season, man. You guys, like, you guys really put on for the city. You guys had a great ride. And he's like, yeah, man, it was close. But, you know, we'll be back, though. We'll be back. And I'm like, ah, oh, of course you will, you know. Lots of confidence. Lots of confidence. Really nice guy. Told me he liked my hat, my Leafs hat. Which of, which which was a real nice hat by the way too, which which the funnier story earlier on in the day was that when I bought said hat, I was trying to decide between the two, but the, the girl behind the, the register, she kinda gave me the look and pointed to the right hat to buy. So not only the sign from the girl not hold on, not only the, the, the cosign from the girl behind the, the, the register but also a cosign from Willie Nylander, right? I'm like, all right, this must be a really good hat. I'm happy with my decision here, right? So anyways, I'm like, ah, that's cool. I'm like, all right, man. Nice to meet you, man. Shake, shake his hand. I'm like, hey, man, nice to meet you. I'm out. So he he walks into the club. I'm walking out now. I go up the stairs. I walk out. Basically, the entire Leafs team is outside about to go into this spot. Again, I'm not going to say where the spot is cuz I'm not trying to play TMZ. My whole point is just my whole my whole purpose of this story is just to be like, you know, the wave that Toronto was on, these guys actually like felt it. Cuz as I like walked out, I was like, "Hey guys, you know, dope season." And Boyle was like, "Yeah, man. He was just like, "We could have won." That's all he kept saying. He's just like, "We could have won." I was like, "Ah, uh, you know, it's all right, man. You guys played good. You guys did a great job for the city." And and I'm a dude, like, I'm not one of these people that try to put myself on a pedestal. Like, I, we work in the industry, but I don't really care about that. Like, I'm a fan and I'm a Toronto kid, born and raised. So I will always big up and shout out people who are putting on for the city that I love as well. Do you know what I mean? And sort of like that was a conversation, like about the city being just on such a like hype level. You know, yeah, and, and proud, like, for sure, you know, the team on. for sure. Right. And like, he was just like, you know what? I appreciate it, man. Toronto's got great fans. And, you know, and I, I actually said to him, I was like, all right, I'm not going to I'm not trying to like blow up you guys a spot because there's just random people like walking down the street. And the way that hockey. No, but seriously, like hockey players, you know, most people. Yeah, they blend in. Most people don't really know hockey players unless they know. It's hockey. You know what I mean? Unless you know it's a guy, you don't, you're not really gonna know, right? So I'm like, hey, not tr- really trying to, like, blow up you guys' a spot or anything, right? But he's just like, no, man, it was good. Have a great night, you know, blah, blah, blah. We were talking about, like, how was, how was it inside, whatever. Like, but just a super down-to-earth, nice guy. You know what I mean? And yeah. it was just cool to see, like, the team. I'm like, I can't be mad at those guys. No. How? Why? Okay,
1: but you still haven't answered my question. What was higher? <laughs>
0: I think we know the answer to that. I don't even have. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't think we had to 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 go on the record with that one. And yeah, I think I think we 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 know something about that. And I'm gonna guess that a solid playoff run business is about to pick up. It's about to be a nice summer. It's gonna be a good summer for Austin. Yes, definitely. It was it was a fun like Sunday night though, and a great like wrap up to the leaf season because it was just great to see them you know matter again on such a, a big stage right because like again like we're both kids that love the city and like there's nothing better than the vibe in this city when the Leafs are doing well right and so like that was just really cool to see for a couple of weeks you know well not even because even if you go back to the end of the regular season that was just like the playoffs as well in the sense that you needed wins you needed points to every get night. there and it was like every night was a playoff out here yeah yeah and it was just a fun ride a really really fun ride and the city was kind of teased with it a bit with the jays with the raptors but we saw once again that it's on a whole new level when it's the leafs and what you hey, can do once you can do it on the race this,
1: this city will fall in love with you you know they'll give you the
0: key for sure for sure and so it'll be it'll be fun to see you know if like as this is just the beginning Right, like that'll be the coolest thing to see. That is just the beginning of the ride, and you know Toronto will be on a wave for years to come. Right?
1: Well, yeah, that wave is not crested quite yet, man. No,
0: no, oh, no. That motherfucker. Um, another, the other Toronto team that we were kind of worried about for a bit of their wave dying, the Raptors. I got to be honest, Webby. I you thought we were gonna win Game Five. Or... I thought the series was over after the All right right? After the blowout loss in uh, Game Three in Milwaukee, I thought yeah. they were going to lose the series. I thought it was over. I'm going to be honest; like I thought it was over just because they didn't play well in any of the games. Even that one game they won, yeah. I just think Serge shot threes out of his mind. So did Corey Joseph. But those two and things, the Bucks got two clean looks at three at the end. Exactly right, but I didn't. I didn't think like the Raptors shooting threes at that clip well, those two guys especially, I didn't think that was sustainable. And so, you know, I thought the series was over. I just thought the the matchup, it was just a bad matchup for the Raps because, you know, if DeRozan ever got going, they could just put Giannis on him to slow him down. You needed Lowry. Lowry was being more of the playoff Lowry that we've seen as opposed to the regular season Lowry, which wasn't a good look. You know, like it just, things just weren't looking good for the Raps at all. And then what happened?
1: Put Norm in the game.
0: Norm? <laughs> why? A norm in the game. Why? Like, yeah. why did it take so long? Like,
1: everybody's treating it like it was this huge decision. Like, oh my god, once it did. Man, if you've been watching this team the last two seasons, when the series started, I was like, why is Damari Carroll playing? Yeah. Like, why is it nothing? We're playing a team that's youth, youth and length. And we're putting Demari Carroll out there to try and stop it? But that's Norm. Yeah. I, I didn't understand why it took Dwayne Casey three games for Norm Cowlin.
0: And the other thing, too, I know that we, we Norm's scoring and the big dunk he had last night is getting a lot of the attention. But another big factor, just with Norm getting so many more minutes, has been his defense on Middleton. The Bucks have desperately needed Middleton's. Uh-huh. Yeah, they've needed Middleton scoring, and they haven't gotten it, and that's been another major reason for why they've floundered as of late, right? Disaffecting Norms deep is his
1: shooting. Yeah, his three point shooting has been unbelievable.
0: For sure, for sure. And and now, are you feeling more comfortable about the Raptors winning this series? Like, do you think it's done? They win the series now.
1: Yeah, I was really never that unconfident they were going to win. <laughs> They do this series after playoff series after playoff series. They struggle out of the game, then they get it right, and mm-hmm. they win in six or seven. I mean, this is their
0: MO. So I wonder what it is. We we're talking about Norm and why Norm doesn't get so many, why Norm wasn't getting minutes, which I don't know more than any NBA coach. I will never claim that. But it kind of seemed that a lot of people always felt like, why isn't Norman playing much, right? And even your boy Jared Selinger, Who obviously was with the Raptors for most of the season before he got traded for PJ Tucker? He tweeted out during one of the early games, he sent out a tweet saying, Please give Norman Powell a chance. Right? And it's, right? So it's it's just such an interesting thing to me. Like, why do you think Norm wasn't getting minutes earlier on in the series? Do you think Casey's a good coach, by the way? Like, I guess maybe I should start from there. No, I don't. (laughs) I think the worst thing that happened to the Raptors, like,
1: Long term future is making it to the common spot, no flat steer because it just meant that you know, Casey was going to be allowed another couple of seasons. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but the thing that I will say about Casey is that he adjusted, so, you know,
0: he made the norm move rather than just sticking with his gun. So I that, mean, you know, got to give him points for that,
1: because pulling the trigger out playing Norm is totally turned
0: the series around. One other person that he sort of stuck with throughout this whole season and playoff as well is Damari Carroll, who seems to be kind of the kind of the whipping boy he's turning into for the Raptors. No, like I feel like when things are going bad, NBA Twitter, or Raptors Twitter seems to be on Damari Carroll a lot. What are your thoughts on him? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he's just an easy target. <laughs> I mean, he's so poor, just can't can't seem to hit a shot or keep anybody from
1: of him. But uh, but it, it, it their struggles when they do are way deeper than just one guy, you know? mm-hmm. and 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 their successes are are weird, way deeper than just one. So you know you got you got to take that into
0: account. Well, but but man, they it, it paid you know, a lot of money to come here, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. And they they the main reason they brought him here was to play defense, or at least try to slow down some of the great yeah, perimeter guys gone. in the league. I mean, Giannis is just a beast. And Webby, I know you watch highlights for a living. You call highlights for a living. Have you seen anything like Giannis enter the Kumbo in your life? No. No. <laughs> I really haven't. I think the closest was, I mean, um, just watching his drafting, you know, because a these guys are coming
1: out. I try to, like, even if they're from the far reaches of the world, mm-hmm. I try to. Check check out what they're doing on YouTube. Yeah, so I watched Giannis's YouTube clips. You know the Yeah, four, yeah. Five minute takes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is incredible. But is he playing against the ninth graders? Like, <laughs> it, it, this isn't
0: going
1: to translate to the NBA. Yeah. But I, I and then today I heard that he grew two inches in his rookie year. I I think this guy's going to win two or three
0: MVPs. It is, it is really, really crazy how good he is, right? And I did a, I did a feature for our like pregame show heading into game one just on Giannis to kind of like introduce, you know, because you're getting a lot of casual fans stepping in, obviously, when it's playoff time. So people might not be familiar with Giannis if you're not really in an NBA fan, right? He plays on the Bucks, a small market team, doesn't really get a lot of attention and made his first all-star game this year, right? But one of the things I wrote in it was, you know, people talked about LeBron being the chosen one and LeBron being sort of like the blueprint of what an, the the modern NBA player is going to be, right? Like he's kind of Karl Malone, Magic, and MJ mixed into one person, right? So I wrote that, like one of the lines I wrote was kind of that if LeBron was a chosen one, then Giannis is the remix. And at the time I wrote it and I was thinking, Am I comparing, like, is that too crazy? Because you're comparing him to LeBron, who's obviously a beast, and then you watch the games, like, you actually sit there and watch him for a full multiple games, and you're just like, I don't know what the limit is on this guy's game. I really don't. I just, I love that he went to
1: 15th overall.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. GM to the, the NBA passed on this guy. Well, in, in... Um, it's all the same team
1: That's never going to transfer to the NBA. And man, I'm telling you, once this guy
0: can consistently hit mm-hmm. a three-point shot, it's yeah. Over. Well, that was a crazy part. Like, what game? Oh, it was game two. Game two, the game the Raptors won. He had he was shooting terribly, right? And then and he, he hit that three at the end. But that was the thing, like, he, he, his shooting numbers were terrible, and then you look, though, and he's still contributing in so many other ways, right? Like, he's still rebounding, he's still getting assists, he's blocking shots, and then you're thinking, oh man, he's shooting, he's shooting poorly this game. And my guy steps up confidently, shoots a three in crunch time, just splashes it, and you're like, okay, that is scary. Because if he ever, you're right, if he hits that consistently, how do you stop a guy like that? I know this NBA unicorn talk has been, you know, sort of thing with him, Porzingis, whatever, but I don't think Porzingis, yeah, him, Porzingis, Embiid, uh Carl anthony Towns, you know, like, Giannis, though, my guy is literally playing point guard and then, like, switching off of centers to guard. Like, it, it, it's really crazy. Imagine a future NBA where you just have a bunch of guys like that. And, and
1: transition in both ways. He's a... You can't take your eyes off the
0: screen because you might not—you know, you might see something you never see in a game before. It's crazy, and it's like he even has that like Russ aspect where, like, you know, everyone rips Russ, which I thought was one of the dumbest things ever about Russ chasing stats and grabbing rebounds. And like, is this where we're at? Where we're we're ripping guys for running down rebounds? Like, I don't get it. But anyways, beyond that, um, you see things where like Russ and Giannis. They grab the rebound and then it's just a one man fast break and you can't stop them once they're going downhill. Yeah, you you cannot stop it. Once they're at full speed and you're backpedaling, you're done. Like it's so crazy. And and that's one thing that I'm I'm glad the Raptors matched up against uh the Bucks just because it was a chance to watch Giannis on a night to night basis and just fully take in just how good this kid is. And I don't even know how good he can be. And how much credit do you think we should give Jason Kidd? Time to be able to harness the talent that Giannis has, -hmm. and 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 to make to make the policy decision to put him at point guard. (laughs) Yes, it's it's unbelievable. Like Jason Kidd, I I don't think he came up in anybody's uh, coach of the year candidate. No, you don't really hear his name.
1: I I thought Billy Donovan was getting some love, but. (laughs) Billy Donovan over Jason
0: Billy Donovan is just that coach from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right? Just yeah. passed to Will. <laughs> right? So, what do we do? Pass to Will. Do you think they win? So, that's my thing. Like, if we're both saying that we think the Raptors are going to. I don't. I actually think the Raptors will win in seven because I. I it's just what they do. But. I played six before the series started. Okay. Okay. Uh, hey, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But that would set up a rematch with your boy LeBron James and the Cavs. Are you part of this bandwagon that thinks the Raptors have a chance against LeBron James and the Cavs this year? I do not. Okay. I don't do either. I don't either. But okay. I what he did handedly to Indiana, I know. I know the Raptors are quite a bit better than the Pacers, mm-hmm. but.
1: LeBron and that offense is—they're on another level. They, they, the Raptors could be up
0: by twenty-five, thirty points, and nobody would feel safe. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely true, and and I know the Raptors added surge and PJ, which makes them tougher. And you know, I don't know though if they understand how to how they have to win yet. And what I mean by that is. They have to grind it out and win in like the 80s or 90s. Do you know what I mean? Like they have to grind out, really slow down the game. And the problem with that is the Cavs are built to go the complete opposite way, right? And so unless you're like – unless you're going to dictate that, which I don't – I mean I just can't really see happening. Plus you have the factor that it it has to be in LeBron and company's mind. It has to be in the back of their mind. Last year's playoffs, how – it went to six games just because you know they took their foot off the pedal a bit, you know, and like let the Raptors get some confidence when they got back home in front of the home crowd. Like I feel like you know they got to be more prepared for that, more ready for that, and just have the understanding that you can't waste time in the playoffs. You know, like you have bigger fish to fry. You can't be losing to the Raptors. I forgotten about that series and how close it was, really. For sure. You got another kid coming man. He's
1: gonna have something to show in this second round. It's, the guy's playing for over forty minutes a game in the playoffs.
0: <laughs> the one man crew. No, for sure. It's it is crazy. It is crazy. There were other things too actually no, I'm not going to say that on on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that, but I'll tell you after. Just remind me, just remind me that story after. But um one thing I was gonna say though, Webby as well, like as we bounce around the playoffs, the other big talk I thought this whole thing with Russell Westbrook and James Harden, who's the MVP, and that whole narrative, I thought it would end finally, but I guess because they played against each other, people seem to think that that meant the conversation should also continue into the playoffs, which also makes no sense to me because it's a regular season award. But since we're here, who is your MVP pick for the season, Webby? Oh, it's so tough. Like, I mean, you can make a case for all four of those guys, for Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi, and, and LeBron, I um, think. But just that record, Oscar Robertson's record, I know it's it's basically a uh, it's a meaningless meaningless record. It's mm-hmm. just three digit numbers. I mean, that's not a big deal, but it's one of those ones that nobody thought would ever, no, nobody thought anybody would, Average a triple
1: double in a season again. No, for sure. To break the Big O's record, I think that that is just too great of an accomplishment to ignore. I know that he's, he lost in the first round, that they were a, uh, what were they, a six seed? Yeah. yeah they were a six seed, and, and getting that MVP to any seed lower than a three is really tough. And I know that Harden's advanced numbers were unbelievable. And Kawhi is the best two-way player in the game, and LeBron James is the best basketball player on the planet. Who's who is breathing breath? But, <laughs> but I, that, that that record is so special,
0: yeah. and goes back so far. And I, I think that it'd be a mistake not to give it to Lebron. See, I thought I've and I've thought this for the majority of the season that. We all overthought this whole MVP debate. And I think that Russ's accomplishment Russ's accomplishment of getting a triple double every night, like, it was the epitome of this era of the twenty-four hour sports cycle and the hot take shows, right? So you need something to talk about now every single day. And every single day it was just, oh, Russ got another another triple double. And so it kind of became kind of this like throwaway stat that was just like Oh, yeah, he did it again, but he does it every night, so is it really that big of a deal when it's like, yes, it's a big deal, and not only the fact that he averaged a triple double being a big deal, but he did it while leading the league in scoring, averaging thirty points a night like it's not like he was just right like it's not like he was just out here getting like ten, twelve, and eleven. Do you know what I mean like he's averaging thirty points a night and when i and and my biggest beef too is that I know that. We live in the stats era and all that, but sometimes we just got to trust the eye test, right? And if you sit down and actually watch Oklahoma City games, right, how is he not the MVP? I mean, that point got further exemplified in the playoffs. Because LeBron James takes playoff, takes regular season games off to rest, and his team is still in second place in the conference.
1: should take away guy's...
0: I, I definitely think that it should, because it's a regular season award. So if these games aren't important enough for you to play in, because you can just sit out to rest in the regular season, you cannot win a regular season award for being the most valuable player. you're, you're, yeah, you're it's not, not like he missed the whole season. He took off a couple of games here and there. For sure. Russ could not miss games, because if he did sit out to rest, they would lose. Even he if he, But if he didn't get a triple-double... took that
1: week-long break to go to the Ohio State game?
0: <laughs> I I don't I don't remember that. What was was that last year?
1: You know I mean, Shit, he's won like three years running, so I guess he did.
0: No, but I don't know.
1: Sorry, step on
0: that. But my my point though, Webby, I think that like it's a regular season, and that for a regular season award, you have to value the regular season. And I think that if you're sitting out games to rest, you're you yourself are devaluing the regular season, and put that in comparison to a dude that sorry i just like hit the mic so hard um but to to compare that to a dude who not only does he have to play but russ had to get a triple double for his team to win like they were way under 500 in games that he didn't score a triple double like that's ridiculous that doesn't even make any sense at all right and the 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 next thing people always brought up was the supporting cast arguments right that oh we spent so much time arguing over who was better? Which supporting cast was better? Houston's or or well, Oklahoma City's? Too. I
1: never understood Houston's
0: supporting
1: cast is the best bench in the
0: league. Yeah, their supporting cast is so good. I
1: never understood that, their support, that the hardest supporting cast was lesser than
0: the Yeah, it makes no sense to me. But also the, the other part to that is we're talking about a team that lost, what, a top three player in the league, right? And the rest of that team was built to support that, right? Do you know what I mean? So that team, the way that their team is constructed was to have pieces around two of the top five best players in the league. You remove the third best player in the league and you replace him with Oladipo, but now you still have a guy like Roberson who makes sense when you have Russ and KD on the floor. But when you remove one of Russ and KD, you can't have Roberson on the floor and then tell me that, you know, someone else's supporting cast is better. Like, Roberson is not touching the floor if he played on uh, the Houston Rockets. Listen, the Oklahoma City Thunder have Kyle Singler on their team. There are many teams that have worse supporting cast. And a team out there. yeah but do you know what i mean like we're, we're talking about other teams in Kawhi supporting cast and durant and and even lebron and uh james harden like those teams the players around them were spe- specifically brought in to be around those teams because that's how that team was built russ's team was built wasn't built for just russ do you know what i mean like The way that he just carried that team, I I just don't understand the argument against Russ. I just feel like it's people overthinking it. And like I still think Deadspin did the best job. Like I remember it was, I want to say like 15 games. I forget what the numbers were, but what they did was there was like 15 games left in the regular season, right? And they put up these two stats and it said uh, player one has 26 points, seven assists, eight rebounds a game. Player two has 25 points, seven rebounds, and six assists per game, right? And then at the bottom it says, player one is Kawhi Leonard. Player B yeah. is Russell Westbrook if he didn't score another point, rebound, or assist for the entire rest of the season. And I was like, how are we comparing these two guys in the MVP debate? Like, this makes no sense at all to me. Like, none. That's a really good point. Hey, that's
1: a good point. it's like people have to try to convince themselves not to vote for Russ. Yeah. But the the thing is that when when all
0: the votes are counted, I think that there are enough smart NBA writers and media members out there that Russ is going to win. Yeah. And just add in, you know, I think, you know, uh, if it's between Russ and James Harden, I think D'Antoni has to get a lot of credit as well just for, you know, the fact that he came in and said, "Listen, this team is James's team. We're going to give him the ball," and he put him in a position to succeed. So not only is he put into put in a position to succeed by his coach, but also by the own by the GM who put players around him, right? That fit. Aaron Gordon, like people are saying, Eric Gordon is not that good. I'm like, well, he's pretty good if he just has to sit in the corner and hit threes. So's Lou Williams. So's Ryan Anderson. So's Trevor Ariza, who's still been doing it big you know just swapped out kobe for james harden you know what i mean like it it just makes no sense to me but no, anyways exactly right. i think
1: that uh, like harden's mvp award is Mike Dan tony's coach of the year award yeah you know because it was it it, it was his idea to put the ball in harden's hands mm-hmm. after his disastrous 2015 2016
0: and then to coach all the guys around him So like put that system that phoenix suns seven seconds or less of them in place in Houston and see it drive and see all the success that they've had from it. No, for sure. For sure. Definitely. And I I, I look forward to seeing, I guess, who will win set awards and what did they just uh, announce? That Drake is hosting the NBA Awards? Yeah, I don't like it. I they <laughs> forget about Drake hosting it. I, I I love it when they give up the award during the series. Yeah, that is always pretty cool. Yeah. No matter which way it went,
1: there would be some hurt feelings. <laughs> no, it's true. And some players upping their game. It's in so true. It's... I have, uh, like, it's kind of brutal waiting
0: around the June 21st. Yes, 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 yes. No, it's true. It's true. Um, but maybe while we wait, Webby, to finish up, while we wait to find out who will be MVP. I can give you some other stuff that you can watch on television. Oh, okay. Ah! let me tell you, The Leftovers just came back. I'm right into that. Okay, okay. What are you watching? Tell me what you're watching right now, Webby. Just came back. I'm really into that. Okay, okay. Well, I'm always looking for
1: a new shows,
0: and I have a show for you. Okay, you gotta hit me. The what show, the show. Real Housewives. I'm hanging up the phone right now. Come on, Webby. I know I watch a lot of bad TV. I watch a lot of bad TV, but I would not. Come on. That's, that's a little too far, even for me. Even for me. But I what I do have for you, though, is a show called Billions. Oh, i lots of good things about Billions. So Billions is a great, great show. And the writing in it is great. The acting in it is great. And first thing, I mean, I guess I'll give you the little uh, elevator pitch on what the show is. Elevator. Okay, so basically, you got dude that played Brody from Homeland, right? Okay. His name is Bobby Axelrod. He's a 9/11 survivor, and he, he heads up a hedge fund, right? So he's like okay. a stanky rich dude. Okay, Paul Giamani, who we all know and love, right? Absolutely. Paul Giamani, he is Chuck Rhodes, and he is a U.S. attorney for uh, in like the Southern District of New York or whatever, right? And so basically. It's the whole concept is it's like a cat and mouse game where Chuck Rhodes is trying to advance his career by you know trying to trying to to score the big cases you know and one of the things he's trying to do is take down the hedge funds and all the corruption going on on Wall Street so he's trying to go after the big wigs one of them being Bobby Axelrod right so that's basically the the main storyline going on is this cat and mouse battle between Paul Giamani and uh, Brody from Homeland. Okay? okay. So the other thing that ties into this, though, is that Paul Giamatti's wife on the show, who is Tara from Sons of Anarchy, okay. right? Who is one of my favorites. I love her, by the way. Oh, so she plays Wendy Rhodes, who is the wife of Chuck Rhodes. She is a uh, therapist. Okay, but calling her a therapist isn't really fair like it doesn't do her enough justice but she's a therapist at bobby axelrod's hedge fund company ah right so see this is where everything gets real complicated right so her thing is that you know if if the guys are struggling you know like all their uh all their hedge fund dudes, if they're struggling and they're, they're like stressing out or whatever, they go and talk to her and they sort of like work through whatever issues they might be having. Right. But also too, the biggest thing is that uh, Bobby Axelrod being a nine, 11 survivor. There's a lot of other layers to the show that I won't give away in case you end up watching okay. it, but there's other other layers that come into play with him being a nine 11 survivor. And so, You know, just a lot of the things that came along with that, he's dealing with a lot of those issues internally. And Wendy Rhodes has been someone who's helped him a lot in dealing with uh, the business and his life and all these other things. Because he's a super smart dude in figuring out all these different business plans and hostile takeovers and all this stuff, right? But he needs her to kind of like talk him off the ledge sometimes, if that makes sense. So she plays a very integral part in his life while also her husband is trying to take him down see where i'm going there is she giving the secrets to her husband? i don't know I, I can't be giving away the, the, the i can't be giving away spoilers webby come on come on now webby i wouldn't do that no spoilers. um also too a little toronto love as uh bobby axelrod's wife on the show is malin ackerman who's from toronto She's she is yeah well she went to north toronto Get out of here. Yeah, yeah, little known fact. Oh, Come with little tidbits as well, Webby. This is what we're about. But yeah, smart show. This is, what is about. It's what little tidbits, you know, try to hit you with. But yeah, it's a, it's it's one of those, like, it's a well-written I drama. I have a couple of hookup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two seasons, and I will say the second season. So the first season, they, they get you in, right? Because you're, like, kind of, it's giving you, like, an insight into the world of, like, trading and you know they're trying to catch people in insider trading and you're they're really trying to let you in on the world the second season is more so about um it really hypes up the sort of cat and mouse game between the two main characters right so you find yourself rooting for each guy kind of at different points but also like hating both guys at different points because they're super shady right like it's a super shady business that both of them are in and they're both very conflicted dudes and then you're dealing with their lives at home and how they're dealing with their wives and it's a very and and like they do a really good job in the show as the women are like just as much big time power players as the men are in the show. But the last thing that I know, Webby, will make you want to watch this show. I said the right I said. I'm always down to the powerful women. Well yes. Yes for sure. Um So the one thing I know, Webby, I'm I'm, I'm a simple man, and this is when I was convinced that this is a great, great show, that I need to take it to the people to convince more people to enjoy in this great, great show. So I mentioned the writing. The writing is very good because it's very like pop culture driven, right? So there's a lot of different tie-ins here and there, whether it's musically, whether it's uh, different other shows, but... Uh, this one scene, I'll give away just because it really has nothing to do with the greater storyline. Oh, yeah, but what's going on is uh, Malin Ackerman's character, right? Um, So obviously, she's married to Bobby Axelrod. She's trying to get her own business off the ground, right? With, uh, I think it's her sister. So they're trying to get their own business off the ground, and it's successful at first, but then someone else, another competitor comes in and tw- and tries to basically like just take over all their business, like cuts their costs and like cuts them off and is really going at them trying to run them out of the game right so the sister is like "Uh, you know what we made a really good effort but they really just did a better job than us and maybe we should think about getting out and Malin Ackerman just turns to her in a straight serious face and says this is our fucking corner stringer (laughs) and I'm like wait what hold on did she really just say that like did she she just quoted it I did. I I stopped and I was like, wait a second. Cause you know how you're watching TV, but sometimes you're on your laptop or whatever. Like I was actually like paying attention, but I was still like, did she really just say this is our fucking corner stringer and we're not backing down? I was like, what? I rewound it. And yes, she quoted Avon Barksdale. I was like, this is me," <laughs> But like, they don't acknowledge it. She just says it. She's like, this is our corner. We're not backing down. And then the sister's like, oh, okay. So I guess we're going to keep going. She's like, damn right. We're going to keep going. And they hug and the scene's over. So they don't even really like acknowledge among the characters that like, she just quoted the wire. Like what of the greatest shows ever? But they just kind of like drop that in and move on. And I was like, slow clap for that. Slow clap. Slow clap. Uh, man, based on that alone, <laughs> awesome. I'm a simple man. I'm easy. That's that's what got me in. Um, yes. Anything else, Webby you got this week? Anything else you want to touch on for for our on blast peeps? No. A double Herrera backflip. I know you're. I know you're watching. On the season, it
1: was a second of a back-to-back-to-back home runs for the
0: Phillies. My God bad travel in. That's dope. There's, there's nobody out there that has more fun than Duvall Herrera in baseball right now. That is, that is dope. Yeah, I like that. I like that. One thing I also know that you're liking right now is the challenge. Oh, okay. man. Have you seen these rumors, by the way, of like the challenge pros? Um, um, well, what I, 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 okay, so i turned the problems of the challenge against the pros. First of all, because they're getting ready to TJ Laban yeah. Victor Cruz, one of my least <laughs> favorite doing the Hold on. Full disclosure, you are an Eagles fan, just for, for the yeah, people yeah, to absolutely. know. absolutely. The Giants hater. <laughs> um, so I don't like that to begin with. But what's more interesting is that I've been getting a couple of tweets from people who got the leaked past rumors for the next challenge. Yes, I have seen that as well, and I, I like and it. if they're true, oh boy. I'm in. The challenge is great. It's a great challenge. It's a, it's a professional sport. It's amazing. Um, do you agree with people saying that Laurel being upset by Camilla is up there with the Patriots' comeback, with LeBron's comeback in the NBA Finals? <laughs> with the, the, Right? Like, just one of the biggest upsets. Laurel going down to Camilla. But you can see how it happened. I mean, Laurel's yes. out of the game. Like she, ah. She's having a lesbian affair with Nicole. Like, distraction. Off-court distractions. 100% into the
1: game. She's going to have no outside <laughs> distractions.
0: <laughs> fair enough, Webby. Fair enough. And on that note, I hope that we were a good enough distraction to your day okay. as you listen to the On Blast podcast. As always, unpolished and unapologetic. For Mr. Andrew Webster, who you can find on Twitter at. Hey, Webster84, how are you, I am Shel Alexander at Shel Alexander. And until next time, hope you enjoyed this edition of the On Blast podcast. See ya! Hey. On Blast. My whip dropped. Like bitches' asses. Cargo.
1: Ready to package. Paid up. I see haters watching, so fucking turn it up Let these bitches drop it